left off at verse 19. Lord willing, we'll finish the chapter tonight. <laughs> By the way, uh, this is going to be a, a kind of fun uh, in our where we are in the Bible on Sunday morning. So this week, this Sunday, looking ahead, we're doing Thyatira. And then on Easter, we're doing the dead church. Isn't that going to be fun? The dead church, but Jesus is alive. We're going to show you the parallel between those two. So I'm looking forward to an Easter dead Sunday. What does it have to do with tonight? Nothing. Just looking ahead. By the way, pray for Arrowwood. We are in the midst of... uh, just a whole lot of stuff going on. We're trying to get uh, some stuff done in the next couple of weeks for the ladies' ministry, and right now it looks like we're testing bombs in front, in front of the barn. We have huge trenches open so we can have bathrooms and facilities, but I, I would just pray. The, the, the rock plant ran out of rock. How do you run out of rock? Isn't it in the ground? But I'm no rock genius. It's just that kind of things have been happening. Tractor problems. Just pray for us when up there. There's crews right now working, uh, and we just want to make it a beautiful place and have people and churches attend it. So continue to pray for Arrowwood. Just pray for it, and again, that God would also financially provide for that. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, therefore. <laughs> okay, what's it there for? We're going to see. He's going to tie it all together. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. And then notice this phrase, let us draw near. Now, for the last 10 chapters, the writer has been building this theme that Jesus is greater. Literally, for 10 chapters, he has been telling those who are contemplating going back into a religious system that that religious system, as we have said, is done. It's completed in Jesus. It's obsolete, he said. Why in the world would you go to an obsolete system if the greater is standing there? That's Jesus. So he has been building his argument. That's why I think it's Paul, because Paul is such a great legal mind. He just lays it out and lays it out and lays it out. And for a lot of it, for us as the church, it doesn't apply. But finally, it's going to start hitting home, because now he's going to say, all right, everything that I've told you, now how does that apply to us? What are we going to do with that? And so that's why in verse 19, it says, therefore. But let me read you verse 18. Now where there is remission of these, that sin, there is no longer an offering for sin because Jesus is the offering once and for all finished. Then why would we go back to a system of bulls and goats? So because Jesus has offered and he he has given us now access Notice this access. Therefore, brethren, that's believers, having boldness to enter the holiest, that's the holy of holy, by the blood of Jesus. Now, a Jew would never be able to enter in behind the veil. He would never be able to go to the holy of holies. It was only for the high priest and only once a year. 
and the high priest bring, bring blood in, not only for his own atonement, for the, but for the nation as well. So listen, so now the writer says, because Jesus has done it all, you can now go into and have fellowship with the Father that no one in the Old Testament had any idea about. Not only that, guys, but they would never dare to say Father, Abba. It, 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 the whole concept that Jesus brings out by saying Father blows their mind. He's going to continue that tonight. He says, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. So he's going to tell us these three things here, and then we're going to get into not forsaking the assembly, and then there's just even more after that. So let's try to focus tonight on our blown-mindedness. Here we go. Three things. Three, let us. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. Let's read these three. Let us hold fast to the confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So these three areas he's going to tell us. So now I've told you for 10 chapters all about what was in the past and not going back, but this is what you should do. So as a follower of Christ, we should draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And who are we drawing near to? Number one, are you ready for it? It's the Lord. We're going to see these three things. Number one, we draw near to God, and then we're going to have, uh, then we're going to hold fast to the confession of hope. That's us. And number three, then we're going to work outwardly. This is the Christian faith. If you wanted to break it down into an easy pamphlet, it is God, us, others. Isn't that great? You need to have a good walk with the Lord before you can minister to other people. And that doesn't mean your knowledge of the Bible. Oh, that's good. It just sim- it simply means, as we will see in the, in the world that we live in, Isn't it good to know that there is hope, and the hope is in Jesus? So let us draw near with a true heart, verse 22, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. When he says having full assurance of faith, that means what God did and what God accomplished upon the cross, I have full assurance of that. What if you kind of have mainly, mostly, kind of, almost assurance? Like, I'm good at like 90% that he probably did it. That's not good odds. No, full assurance is what he did upon the cross is the finished work. On Sunday, when we get to the church of Thyatira, we're going to see in church history that the church said, yeah, Jesus did it, but you got to do these other things. And so it's always Jesus and, and the writer says, it's not Jesus and, it's Jesus alone in his atonement. But note with me, when we have full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, that word conscience, I want you to write next to it a road map. That is our direction in life. 
And evil, obviously, is the direction we were on before we came to Christ. Having a good conscience is the roadmap that the Bible tells us that we need to be on. So what he says is get rid of the old man and get on the road with Jesus. Not only that, that our bodies are washed by the pure water. The water in the New Testament speaking of the word of God. So you're doing it tonight. You are getting your heavenly shower tonight. Isn't that good? You know, rinse off. Listen, at Arrowwood, we have a, uh, ladies, don't listen to this right now. Uh, We have a three-minute shower policy because we have a septic system. And if you have 30 people taking a five- or ten-minute shower, I'm going to let you do the math. Just three-minute showers is 90 minutes of showers. Now, some women have now just canceled their registration. But we have a creek. It's fed from a spring. You'll be good. But, you know, (laughs) when, when we're working and we're up there and we're just covered in the Georgia red clay and we come in at night and we wash that all off, you're clean, aren't you? When we come into church, this is what church is about. We come in from the world and we've got South Carolina red clay all over us. We've got worldliness and we just corporately come together. When you read your Bible at night or in the morning, you're washed by the word. You feel clean. Have you ever felt dirty reading the word? Now, now that is not a convicting part of the word because we do feel convicted. But even in conviction, we feel clean. Because we can confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's called the borrow soap verse, isn't it? Because it washes us clean. And so he tells us to draw near to God. Number one, you want to know and have a, a good walk with God? Then draw near. Well, I don't feel close to God. That's your fault. That's not his fault. He's there. He's always there. We tend to walk away. Now, number two is verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, what are these believers in danger of? Wavering. They're in danger of going back to the old system. Well, I don't know if this Jesus thing is working for me. I I, I probably should just go back into the old religious system where I could go Sunday night and get meatballs and spaghetti at mom's house where now you can't because your mom thinks you're a wacko. We're going to talk about that. In a religious system, the believers of this day who came into Christianity, they were ostracized. Do you know that uh, Jews who became Christians, the parents oftentimes had a death, had a funeral for their children. And it's no different in any other religion coming out of Islam or Hinduism into Christianity They consider them dead. So it's kind of hard if you're the only believer coming out of that. And the writer says, don't waver. Hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. Even when we're not faithful, he is faithful. Now, next chapter, we're going to get into the heroes of faith. And what the writer is going to do, he's going to build up our faith by showing us 
all of these men and women through the Old Testament. So, number one is we draw near to God. Number two is we work on ourselves. And number three is we are other-centered, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Notice the comma. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So when we, he tells us, let us consider one another in order to stir up good works. So we are having a relationship with God. We are having our walk. We're, we're, we're doing what we are supposed to do. And then we are supposed to reach out to others. Now, uh, I am re- I'm reading, I say reading, but I'm listening right now to a book on William Wilberforce. And he is an amazing man. In the turn of the 19th century, so for those of you who don't remember, that's like 1800, uh, and the, just the situation in England and the churches, and I kind of said this a couple of weeks ago, that the churches at that time in his era didn't really believe in reaching out to the less fortunate. It was through him. Think about that. One man in England changed an entire way of thinking, so much so that that thinking came to America and was adopted into the churches. And what we know by helping the less privileged comes from him. Just stop for a minute. You think to yourself, yeah, but that's normal. Not then. And the churches didn't teach that. Because the churches in England at that time, they were, they were, someone had said it this way, they were, they, it was used to be that they were like a lion and now they're just a lap dog. There's no real bite, there's no real fight. The churches had a semblance of religion but there was nothing in societal change. By the way, I encourage you to read or to listen, <laughs> thank God for Audible, uh, about William Wilberforce and his life and how amazing one man can transform not only his home, but the rest of the churches around the world. And his whole thing was helping others who could not help themselves. So as believers, we need to be discovering ways to encourage fellow believers to manifest love and to engage in good works. Uh, Notice it says, consider one another in order to stir them up. You know what that word stir up means? It means bug them. You have a heavenly mandate to bug people. And this is the, the, let me give you the scenario. Somebody gets saved that you know around. You know what your job is? Make sure you're reading your Bible. Make sure you're praying. Hey, we're going to have a prayer and worship night. Why don't you come with me? Hey, don't forget to come to church. Study, read your Bible. It's in the continually. Always be doing this. Now, not to shame anybody, but are you doing that in somebody else's life? Because this is what he says. Let's consider others. And the idea is, hey, I used to be in that state. I used to be doing dumb things like they are doing. And someone helped me. Why not I help them? 
So let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. When there is a retreat, are you coming to retreat? Hey, there's something going on with this ministry or or seniors ministry or or, or whatever. Hey, are you going to come? Are you coming to men's breakfast? Are you coming to women's Bible study? Help them. Get them to see that good works is an expression of their love towards God. But I want you to see the comma here because I'm about to go on to the the next verse, which is verse 25, not forsaking the assembly together. Now, I'm going to make this statement, and then I'll unpack this. We have been told that that we should close because we are loving our neighbor. Loving them means closing during COVID. This says the opposite of that. It says being with people is actually loving them. Because as we will unpack this, the world doesn't understand this. In fact, it mocks what we are doing now. How many times have you heard that if we let the churches open, it'll be a super spreader event? And yet it never was. Just like Sturgis and the bikers up there last year when they said it was a super spreader, never happened. There's a lot of falseness going on out there. Part of the church's job is to stand up, and as we're going to see here, stand up for what the Bible says, not what man says. I don't care what man says, because man is often, well, wrong a lot. But God's never wrong. And the church, sadly, has bought into this. So let's unpack this, because I don't want to go as long as I do on Sunday lately. Forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. Forsaking fellowship is a sure way in order to give place to discouragement. Hear that. Forsaking the assembly is an easy way to be discouraged. How is that possible? Because you're not around each other. Have you learned that? Uh, help me to stay on track here. My mind's going. <laughs> when you come together, in the body of Christ, and you walk in the door, it's kind of hard to hide, isn't it? You ever found that? You ever try to hide from another believer, and they just like, Holy Spirit's talking to that believer, go to that person, and you're trying to like, you know, you can't hide here. That's good that you can't hide here. You need to be stirred up. You need to be built up. Someone needs to come up to you and say, how are you doing? And don't just give the, I'm fine. Because, guys, a lot of times we're not fine. Now, I don't encourage you to say, you know, well, do you got two hours? Because no one will ever talk to you. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) Like, wow, I ain't got that time. Like, can we condense that to like a five-minute? You know, because look, we're all going through pain. We're all going through struggles. And this is what we, we often fail to realize. That if someone says, how are you doing? And you say to them, well, I just lost this or that. You don't know that that person just lost this or that last month, last year, and they worked through it, and now they want to help you work through it. That's how the Holy Spirit works. But what do we do in America? I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. We're not fine. We've got issues. 
Let's work through the issues. Well, I don't want to. Listen, we're not going to go put it on the prayer chain like that. You need to know that when you talk to somebody, and let me just say to the other person, if you say it to another person, and if I find out, I'm going to come talk to you. And I'm serious. Because that's a confidence there. Keep it between you and the other person. And don't go to a prayer meeting and go, this person really needs prayer and then bleh about their problem. That's wrong. That's not biblical. That's not helping the other person. And I think sometimes we don't want to share because that we think, well, if I'm vulnerable and not open to this other Christian, uh, this other believer, they're just going to tell everybody else. Don't do that. Keep that in-house, and I mean that. Oftentimes when I have counseling in my office, I let people know right away what's on this side of the door stays on this side of the door. I don't tell my wife the majority of the stuff unless I am allowed to say that. Guys, people have got to know that when they talk to you, there's confidence there that you're not going to spread it. And that's bad because I think that's one of the main reasons why people don't want to say X, Y, and Z is going on in their life because they don't want it on the church bulletin board. But they desperately need someone to pray with them. They desperately need someone that can relate to them. Counseling doesn't happen by the pastors. It happens by everybody in the room. Everybody is qualified to counsel another Christian in the faith. Use the Bible. Let's keep going. Many people go to church if they feel like it. (laughs) How many of you have been in that place where it's wintertime, it's cold, the comfy, and you're like, oh, he's just live streaming. We'll stay home. And then you get up, get your coffee, drive here. You get out, it's cold, maybe it's raining. But as soon as you enter in the doors, there are smiling, happy people here. What's wrong with you people? And you're like, I'm so glad I'm here. You sit down, you start worshiping the Lord, you raise your hands, you're like, Lord, you're so good. Then the message starts, and the Lord just starts going right where you needed. And then the encouragement comes in and flows in. That's what the body of Christ is about. (laughs) I don't really care anymore about my notes on this topic because I have so much to say about this. That word manner, do you see, as in the manner of some Now, in context, this is talking about those who are now forsaking the assembly and they're going back to the religious system. In the next verse, it's going to talk about apostasy. They are leaving the faith as the manner of some. But the word manner is interesting. In the Greek, it it can mean this, the usage prescribed by law. Now, I want you to hear that because... (laughs) Let me say that again. Usage prescribed by law. So as in the prescribed law of some, 
What just happened in 2020? The law said you're not supposed to meet. There are whole states that said you can't. No. What is the church supposed to do? Is it supposed to listen to man or is it supposed to listen to God? I pose to you, this is the frog in the lukewarm water and the heat is eventually being turned up. You put the frog in boiling water, jumps out, isn't he? But you slowly cook him. Now everybody's thinking about frog legs. That, it sounds yum to you? Probably not to me. But to each their own. I mean, snails sound good to French people. But that's another topic. So the church is slowly being cooked. It doesn't know that it is. But because the church doesn't know its Bible... And because the church isn't being taught its Bible, and because Bereans are a rare thing today, those who search the scriptures daily to see whether or not their pastor is teaching correctly, paraphrasing Paul, then they don't know to go to their pastor and say, but the Bible says not to forsake the assembly of the body together. Even if there's a law that comes out saying to do that. Listen, Chinese are told not to gather should they be, there should be no church then. What about Saudi Arabia and Iran? There have been believers for 2,000 years where there are laws saying not to assemble, and yet they've assembled. But in America, oh, there's a, there's a sickness, and we got to listen to the man because of love. I say it is more loving to be together than to not because of discouragement. I mean, how discouraging is it to watch me sit in that table uh, during the, the month of April and May? It was pretty, I'll tell you, it was hard talking to that camera. You were just watching it. I had to do it. And then be funny while I did it. Knowing everybody's in their pajamas. That's why I came out on a robe that one day. Oh, you got to watch that video. That was funny. Not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together as in the manner of some. And it, if the law says that we are not to gather, we're going to gather. And if the law says that I will be arrested, then I will be arrested. And I expect somebody else to get up here on Sunday and teach and get arrested until we go through the entire church. Because that's what we do. And for 2,000 years, that's what the church has been doing, laying its life down for the message of Jesus, not to listen to man and say, don't open because you'll be super spreaders. That's not true. There's a lot of falseness that has happened in the last year. And yet, one of the largest churches in California is still closed. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. People have found us because we've been open. We put a sign on the door, right? And you just come in. You, I say this all the time. You can wear a mask or you cannot wear a mask. It's freedom here. We can gather together. And, and not to go off for a minute, but let me go off for a minute. Remember that science told us that we had to separate ourselves six feet? 
and then uh, all-knowing Vouchy came out and said, well, really, it's now three feet. Well, wait a minute. I thought you said science. I, I thought you said that. But we come to find out there is no science behind any of what they are doing. But they want to apply that to us to keep us as the believers, as the church, from not doing what we're doing. And that's just not going to happen. Guys, think about this. Why are we special in 2020 or 2021? Think about the history of the church. What has the church gone through for 2,000 years? During the bubonic plague, the church met. During the Spanish influenza, they met. They've met all the time. This is the only time in recorded history where the church has stopped meeting. God says don't do it. And when you do it, you're going to go down a path that, and I'm just saying this, you will not see people ever again in our church because they've been gone for over a year. And the statistics tell us that. To me, the devil is winning. And I don't want him to win. Let me see if I get anything left on that verse. (laughs) So let's go back in context. It says, as Jesus' return draws near, and the idea as it gets closer and closer, how much more should we be together? And if the writer said that 2,000 years ago, how much more now? Not only that, is now the writer is going to head down a path that he has been talking about, and that is the apostasy. He says in verse 26, and by the way, have you ever, like, and don't do the Bible roulette. How many of you have done the Bible roulette? You're like, God, speak to me. <laughs> oh, you didn't know what Bible roulette was? The things you learn from me. You ever done that where you're like, God, speak to me, and then you land on verse 26? For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. And the devil just goes. Listen, which sin is not willful? We all sin. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But listen to this. This passage of Scripture has been used to beat people and beat them down. And the devil loves this verse. It's one of his favorite verses. He's probably got it tattooed somewhere. It's his favorite verse. Notice, if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no longer a sacrifice of sin. Now, who is he writing this book to? See, the problem is that we take verses out of context. You can't take this verse and just over here. You have to put it into the entire context of not only this chapter, but this book. He's talking about people who are wanting to go back to a religious system. And listen, here it is. They're going to apostate. And how do I know that? Because the definition of verse 26 is in verse 29. We will get to that. This is not talking about a believer that messed up. Because listen, 
you drive on 501, you're going to willfully sin. Will you not? Or try to talk to somebody in customer service. Why do they put the worst people in customer service? Shouldn't they put helpful, friendly people? So, I want you to put an arrow from verse 26 down to 29. Because that's going to help you understand what this means. This is apostasy. This is those who he has been talking about for 10 chapters and now are choosing to not listen to the writer of Hebrews, right? Listen, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour our adversaries. Listen, a believer is not an adversary of God. That's why we know it's, he's not talking about us. Amen? Listen to that. Circle that. You're not an adversary of God. Is your children and an, your adversary? <laughs> Some days, but not really, right? So as a loving father, he doesn't look at you as an adversary. So obviously, church, this doesn't apply to believers. It applies to this group that were at some point part of what was going on, and now when they want to go back. Boy, it's amazing what happens when we read the Bible. It'll tell us what we want. Remember the golden rule. Look at a verse, don't understand it. Do 10 above, 10 after. If that doesn't work, do 20 before and 20. If that doesn't work, read the whole Bible. You'll get it. And the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. And don't let the enemy have those thoughts in your head. And just like when Martin Luther was going through his battles, there's a, there's a room, and I can't if it's in Wittenberg, but there are ink stains on the wall because he would regularly have the devil come and visit him. And he, the devil would say all of his sins that he has done, and he would say, what of it? You tell the devil the same thing, what of it? He would throw his inkwell at the, the wall. I believe Satan really did visit him because as we will see, Martin Luther was an important figure in the body of Christ. And he didn't want, he loved what was going on during, uh, during the church at that time. He says, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation will devour the adversaries, and anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy of the testimony of two or three. He said, if that happened back then, what do you think is going to happen now? How much more worse punishment do you suppose will be though uh, th- through the worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and here's the worst one, and insulted the spirit of grace, insulted the Holy Spirit. So, three things there. Number one, they have trampled the Son of God underfoot. After professing to be a follower of Jesus, that person now brazenly asserts that he wants nothing to do with Jesus. So, that's an apostate. That's what this is talking about. He denies any need for Christ as Savior and positively rejects him as Lord. I thought this was interesting as an illustration. 
but in Japan, there is a crucifix in which was used by the government in the days of persecution. It was placed on the ground, and everyone had a tread on the face of the crucifix. The non-Christians didn't hesitate to tread on his face. The real Christians refused and were ultimately killed. The story goes that the face of Jesus was so worn down and marred by people trampling it that you could hardly see it. You see, the world wants, and these who left the faith, they just trampled Jesus. It was no, as we're going to see, it was no big deal anymore. And will thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing. When, when the Bible talks about a common thing, it calls it profane. Uh, King James calls it profane. New King James calls it common. It, it, it means it's no big deal. So the blood of Jesus is no big deal. You know what you've heard. There's many roads to God. So Jesus is just one of them. He's he's not really precious. He's not really the precious blood of the Lamb. And then lastly, and insulted the Holy Spirit. Now in Matthew 12, Jesus gets into the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and he tells the religious leaders, he says, you guys are dangerously close to doing that. And all that is is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit's job is to point people to Jesus. And if you reject that, then you are, look look at it, you are insulting the Spirit of grace. Those three things, (laughs) listen, a true believer of Jesus cannot do. Do you see that? It's good news, isn't it? So stop thinking you committed this. Because even if you're thinking it means you're not. And you haven't. It just means that we're sinners, saved by grace. Doesn't mean that we can allow to go on sinning. I'm just saved by grace. No, we've got chapters for you coming up. It says, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Look at this verse, verse 31. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You betcha, isn't it? If you're in that state, that you were once around the body of Christ, just like these believers at this time, and now you're going back into the sacrificial system that you think is going to save you, he says, okay, but it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now look at the remedy for us. So now he, he's kind of closing up his final 10 chapters of thought. He says, just like we know with Ephesus, uh, when we've left our first love, he says to go back. Here he says, recall the former days. And the idea here is, and he'll describe it, but remember what it was like when you first gave your life to Jesus. Remember what it was like to come into the body of Christ. Now, for us, we're not persecuted like they were. And he's going to say that. Remember what happened when you came to Christ and all that you went through. He says, in which you were illuminated and you endured such struggling and suffering. He says, you guys, you went through it already for the name of Jesus. 
Your family members thought that you were crazy. Notice the next verse. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you you became companions of those who were so treated. He says, listen, remember what happened to you and how God used you being a spectacle. Spectacle? (laughs) Spectacle. That means on public display by reproaches and tribulations. Guys, I, I come from a Christian family, but my wife doesn't. Maybe you know what it's like to hear you be gossiped by your family members. Oh, they've got Jesus. They've got this or that, and they don't understand anything in your life. They don't even know how to praise God when something good comes in your life. So you know what it's like when your family member does that. And the, the writer says, hey, remember that. You've already gone through all that. And you made it to the other side. You've you've gone through that. He says in verse 34, for you had compassion on me in my chains. Again, not to get into the writer and who it is. That's why I believe it's Paul. He says, you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. That means you gave your goods to help Not only me, but the kingdom of God. Knowing that you have a better and enduring possession in yourself in heaven. What is planet earth? Just for a moment. But how much time do we spend on this third rock from the sun? How much time do we spend in the energy and the money and all of that? And listen, there... Every time I say that, people are like, oh, we have to be monks and be in a, you know. And listen, in Christianity, they, they've taken this to the extreme. Like, yeah, we got to monk ourselves up in a, in a, you know, in a monastery and live a basic life and not have, you know, Chick-fil-A nuggets. And there's so much good stuff that God has allowed us to be a part of. But we got to have a good perspective and he says, listen, you're, what you went through is nothing compared to your reward in heaven. Isn't that good news? What have you gone through here? Has it been tough? Of course it's been tough. Who, who enjoys being mocked? Okay, nobody likes that. No one likes to be ridiculed. No one likes to be the butt of the joke. No one likes their family member tearing them down because of your faith in Jesus. This carpenter that you 2,000 years ago, are you serious? You go to church on a Wednesday night? What's wrong with you? No one likes that. And the writer says, keep this in mind, because what's coming when you're in heaven, I'm going to tell you a little secret. Not really a secret. When we're in heaven, you won't know and remember any of that stupid stuff. It is the former things, Paul says, are going to be gone. He even calls them dung. So everything that's happened in your life on the bed, it's just a pile of, all right, that. He says, therefore, 
Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Don't cast off Jesus. For 10 chapters, that is what he has been saying. Don't cast off Jesus. For you have need of endurance or patience. That's our word, hupomone. Oh, our favorite Greek word. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive a promise, and that's eternal life. Well done, good and faithful servant. For yet a little while... (laughs) And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now, look, you read verse 37. You, who, who else is as frustrated with that verse in a little while? It's been 2,000 years. What do you mean a little while? The little while there means an extended little while. Because in God's economy, 2,000 years is nothing. But he's just trying to get more Gentiles and more Jews into heaven. Yet a little while, and he who is coming will come. And he will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Don't you love that this is an Old Testament quote that he brings in in the New Testament. And he says to those Jews, you know the Old Testament. You know that Jesus is telling us that if anyone draws back, that means to the old system, I have no pleasure in it. But. We are not of those who draw back to sin or perdition, but those who believe to saving of the soul. Now, verse 38 ties us to the next chapter, and that is the heroes of faith. And he is going to now give the confidence and the hope to not only this group, but for us that we can continue because look at all of the examples that have happened. And I made mention of this a couple of times. We have Jesus freaks out there. We also have a voice, which is done by Voice of the Martyr. And we have um, Fox's Book of Martyrs as well. Read and be encouraged by those who have gone before you. Read about the life of Jim Elliott. Read about people that have gone through and suffered many things for the cause of Christ. They've been doing it for 2,000 years. They're still doing it around the world. We're just getting a tiny bit of it right now. Read ahead. Next week, we dive into, by faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word, and we thank you for this night. Thank you, Lord, for the technology that we can bring this over the radio, Lord, and over the internet. We just ask, Lord, that we wouldn't go back. We wouldn't go back into the old system and that we would be strengthened in the the assurance and the hope that we have in you. Thank you, Lord, for the washing of the water of the word and, Lord, for the assembly together of the body of Christ, that that we would be obedient to you above all else. Thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of your servants. In Jesus' name, amen.